everyone all across the seven kingdoms in the free cities welcome back to entertainment evolved this is another uh episode of an evolved review uh today we are going to be talking about house of the dragon episode five if you didn't know that uh when you clicked on this that's very bold of you uh but i am joined today uh by none other than he's making his debut here on the show today oz skymane he's one of my oldest friends of all time if you listen to superhero homies you will hear him known over there as the homie Oz. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's about the time I've been on this show. Hey, you know, there's there's lawyers and red tape and contracts and all that. <laughs> it all has to but be my, worked out. But my people didn't contact your people, so. <laughs> That's true. See, I had to have my people contact your people. That's fair. See, yeah, we had a, we had an off-mic discussion that led to all the legal talks, and then here we are. So, you know, you know how these <laughs> things go. Yeah, but I wouldn't be me if I didn't give you a shit about just now getting me on your show. That is very true. Uh, as uh, my listeners will come to understand when you are on here more, that's just kind of how we operate. Uh, we have known each other for a very, very long time. Um, yeah, I know, right? You also are, of course, a uh, you are the prominent like DM with all of our friends, so... Uh, when when you hear, hear like Ace come on here and talk about like the our crazy D and D adventures, you're responsible for all of that, of course. <laughs> I just facilitate the setting. You guys make it insane. So yeah, that's what every DM ever says. <laughs> I, I play on both sides of that fence. Damn it, uh, <laughs> as as most fences. But uh, that being said. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about your experience, like with Game of Thrones. Every time I've had somebody on, that's kind of like the first thing I want to talk about is like, how did you get introduced to Game of Thrones? And it was probably me. And then how did you feel about it? You know, like towards the end. So you were the one who introduced me to Game of Thrones because I'm not much of a, a book reader. Like I'll read things here and there, but for the most part, books are not really my go-to. So you're like telling me all this cool stuff about this new show called game of thrones and i'm just like oh, that seems way too political for me i'm not a huge political fan but <laughs> then i finally sat down and watched like the first two episodes and I, I immediately fell in love with Tyrion lannister um and it was kind of history from there uh i was like i binge i think i got into it about mid-season three and i finally binge watched all of it up until that point, and then I watched it religiously every time I came out. Um, but as far as like leading into how I felt about it towards the end, was so disappointed. Like like most people, like I was like I said, avid you know religious watcher of this show. Right. Anytime it came out, I was right there. And that final season, like a lot of people have an issue with season seven. I didn't really have that much of an issue. Uh, maybe the pacing was a little off, but when season eight hit, I think maybe the first two episodes were okay, and then it just started going downhill as they rushed things. Uh, God forbid the uh, Battle of uh, uh, Winterfell. Oh my God, yeah. it was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or the the fact that you couldn't see half of that battle anyway, um, and then you get up to the final episode where uh, freaking. Danny destroys everything. So I've talked about this with my wife multiple times about how we had no issues with Daenerys turning, you know, dark side or whatever and burning everybody down. We had no issues with that. The problem was the setup for it. Like 
it it was like almost a flip switch that wasn't even like triggered by anything. It was just like, oh, it's time to do this now, and then turned her into the a mad queen, I guess. Yeah, I recently started. I recently watched all the way back through the show um, because after season eight ended, I did not watch a single millisecond of it. I'm like, this is ruined end to end. Like, there's nothing here for me anymore. On the watch back through the first six seasons, I still enjoyed them not as much as the first time because every time something would happen in my mind, I'm just like. I, you know, it, you can't tune out the, well, that this is going to go to shit. This is not going to lead to anything. Um, like Jon Snow br- being brought back to life. Uh, full spoilers for all the entire Game of Thrones timeline, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, you see Jon Snow get brought back to life, and you're like, well, there is pretty much no reason for this to happen. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh... Unless, unless, you know, they are doing a Jon Snow spinoff show now, which... Uh, well, I would love. I, I actually want to watch this and like see him become king of the north or something like that, uh, or king above the wall. I'm sorry, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, because you know Tyrion could be in it. That's true, and, and that, I love, that would be I love me. I definitely love me some Peter Dinklage. Yeah, uh, when I originally watched the show, I didn't hate season seven, but when I watched back through it, I just completed my watch through, and I said I was going to watch one through six and cut it off. And then I couldn't do it because I was excited like I was the first time. So I watched Seven. And I got to say that Seven, while it has some amazing moments in it, it has fallen into the hate category now because there's just... Like, I'm not watching it anymore through, like, the, the, oh, my God, this show has been so amazing. Now I'm watching it through the, like, just purely objective lens. And I feel like there were so many characters where it's just like, I feel like the the people that make the show, the actual showrunners, just gave up. They were like, we've been doing this for six years. We don't want to do it anymore. Let's just rush to the finish line as fast as we can. Uh, and like, and so I've talked about this on the Superhero Homies, where when it comes to storytelling, you should never do it because you're getting paid to do it. Like In my opinion, storytellers should be wanting to tell a story. And I, I know, obviously, there's red tape there, and I get that, but like... As a storyteller myself, like I personally feel that if you're not in it for the love of that story, then there's no point in telling the story because you're right. just going to make it fall flat. Agreed. You know, and I've talked about this kind of at length too. Uh, you know, in various conversations, it's and I hate to to bring everything back to pro wrestling, but that's just how life is. But it's like. When something is a business like wrestling or like making a television show or anything like that, there is a certain point on a spectrum where business and art are going to collide. And it, it's, it's just a matter of where on that spectrum you're at. It's, you know, is it going to be 10% art and 90% business? Is it going to be the other way around? Is it going to be 50-50? And I think for different properties... It, it can be in various places. I mean, uh, you were recently on Superhero Homies to cover Batman Day, which was a fantastic episode. I recommend anybody go watch that. Uh, and, and you guys talked about a variety of, of Batman movies on there. And uh, you talked about Batman and Robin and how it was like a two-hour toy commercial. <laughs> exactly, 100%. Uh, so, and like that's kind of the way, uh, like a lot of stories that get told like this that have multiple seasons or multiple series or uh multiple movies and these uh like sequels and such like that it always boils down to 
you can definitely tell that they started this project off with a passion and then as it went on and the producers saw that they made money they changed things and made it you, you can definitely tell the people who were passionate about this project are no longer passionate about it because the studio is making money now yeah i i agree and you know, as somebody who is writing a story right now, like one of the things I have caught myself doing a couple times is I'll, you know, I'll be trying to think about like where I want it to go and I'll go, you know what? I bet a lot of people would really like this. And then I stop myself because it's like, is the art driving the money or is the money driving the art? And right. when you slide into that second category, it is much more difficult to be successful you know, to be proud of what you're putting out there and for people to actually, you know, be able to like and enjoy it because nine times out of 10, I think people really can see through that, especially when it comes to like these giant big budget TV shows when, you know, you're not going to go out and hire the most artistic person to interpret this stuff. You're going to go out and hire somebody who's going to be a yes man and do everything you want. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm looking at you, Amazon. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, definitely a good example. Um, but, no, no, I definitely get you. Like, um, as far as, like, as a storyteller myself, like, I've definitely found myself doing that a few times where I'll be coming up with a scenario for you guys at the, DM, uh, at the D uh, Dungeons & Dragons table, and we, um, I would be like, okay, I I'm trying to incorporate everybody's feelings into this. Like, maybe I should just tell the story instead and let them react accordingly so i get my main thing i guess is always try like, like you said people can see through um you know the the production value and right. they want to see a real story and so even if it's not the most popular story it's still a story if it's real most people will uh, gravitate towards it i agree entirely with that and, and I think that there's a lot of, we see a lot of that right now, especially with the streaming wars where there's a huge desire for all this content and everything has gone towards serialized television, which I prefer. Um, but you know, you have, it, it's a situation where you're getting quantity over quality now in a lot of instances, looking at you, Disney plus, huh, uh, right. You know, and, and it is what it is. So, Coming into House of the Dragon, we'll, we'll go full circle here. Like, did you have expectations for this show? And when you saw the first episode, like, were you hooked on it immediately or did it take some time? So, my wife was, uh, you know, she's the one who showed me the trailer for it. And immediately, like, when she told me about it, I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to see this. Like, I, I, I was already tainted. I think you even said this to me multiple times. I've never seen a, uh, a series destroy a fandom with one season of television and game of thrones did that for me it, it like i didn't give a shit about any of the other stories and so she showed me this trailer and i'm like you know what it doesn't look half bad and of course it's got um matt smith in it and like i'm a huge matt smith fan from doctor who um a few of his other things but i mo mostly know him as the uh the doctor and so i was like you know what i'll give it a shot and I sat down and watched the first episode and I was pleasantly surprised because it gave me that feel of early seasons of Game of Thrones. And I'm just like, 
please don't screw this up because like I want it to be good. And after every episode, it's to me has made me fall back in love with the series. And right. so, and, and episode five has uh, definitely rekindled most of that fire. Yeah. I mean, when I, you know, coming into this, I was like, fine, I'll give it a shot. I don't want to, but like, I was like, everyone's going to be talking about it and I'm going to want to see it. And so I watched the first episode and ha- about halfway through, I was like, I hate you guys. I am full tilt back into this. <laughs> um, because it has the, the production value of like season eight. Even better than that, I think. But it has the writing and the talent and the care of the earlier seasons. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, what's interesting about this, too, is like the pacing is somehow both faster and slower than some seasons of game of thrones like for instance in game of thrones i feel like when they were when they said you know we got to go to dragonstone and get the egg back from damon that would have been a season right yeah 100%. you know that would have been like one of the plot threads for the season <laughs> uh you know but also like i think that this show while they cut down on you know westeros has fast tra- travel again uh featured in season seven and eight so we have right. Westeros fast travel, but what we also have though, from a character development standpoint is we get to spend a lot more time with these characters, I think. And we get to see, I think more of the relationships between the different characters and houses than we did in game of Thrones, where we're mostly told about them. Which is a, a very valid point. Like I, that, that is definitely the, the pacing that I picked up on it, and especially in the earlier episodes, it was like, while, yes, we had some time skips, it still felt like we were learning about these characters and seeing the uh, relationships develop organically. Right. And, uh, and and to me, that they're doing a good job with that, as well as, like, I actually had no issues with the fast travel. It was how they used it in season seven and eight that was what made me so upset about it but in this in this show i actually prefer it because of how much they have to cover with this story right and and you know all of this is based on one book and it's you know it it is uh it is completed so that's an advantage that they have they can plan the whole thing out and they know where it's going but also this book is uh you know it's not really written like a traditional novel. It's written more along the lines of, Hey, you know, um, you know, this happened in 17, whatever. (laughs) And then a lot of, some things will have more details like, you know, like a a wedding or something like that, for instance. Uh, cause you have to list all the people who died every time there's a wedding. Of course. Uh, Because, you know, they say in Game of Thrones early on that, you know, a Dothraki wedding is considered a boring affair if there's not at least three deaths. And I'm like, is that just Dothraki weddings? Because No, that's, all that's, the... that's in Game of Thrones, period. <laughs> yeah, I was like, all the Westerosi weddings have a bunch of deaths at them, too. Uh, we've only seen one uh, one Dothraki wedding, and I think only one person died that we saw. So I'm right. You know, I'm like, <laughs> that. It, it's at the lowest number of deaths. Tied for this one. Um, I agree, though, as far as, you know, coming back into this and and seeing where these characters are and, like, what, you know, how they're developing. And even though there are time skips, and I think maybe for some of the casual audiences, that is a little jarring. Um, 
I had hoped that this time skip that they were that they're going to do right now at the end of this episode, I was hoping they would do it in the middle of an episode. Um, and, but they didn't, and I feel like when we go into episode six, I think it is going to be probably really jarring for some people because we're going to have uh, two of the main characters, you know, that are going to be replaced by older actresses. Right, right. And um, I, you know, I don't know if that's going to be. You know, I, I don't know how coherent that's going to be. Yeah, I don't, um, so you mentioned all the time skips and how uh, the quote-unquote casuals um, probably will be jarred by this. Like, to me, I like seeing new, fresh ways to film a show because obviously you can you can always just tell a story frame by frame, you know, scene by scene. But it, it was just like the, uh, the Witcher uh, season one. Like, the, yeah, while there was a lot of strange timeline stuff, if you had actually, if anyone has actually read the book, which is one of the few books I have read, is The Last Wish, you would know that that's actually how the book was written. And right. so, like, seeing that translation to screen and the way they use those time skips was very well done. And see, episode, uh, well, uh, House of Dragons has been really good about that, in my opinion. Um, it does take a second for you to finally get your brain to catch up, but once it does, it's really good. Yeah, and and I think people will start to be okay because this should be the last big time skip that we get. Um, we may still get some little ones, just like you would in any other show like this, but I think that the one at the end of this episode will be the last of the major time skips because we're going to get to see all of these characters where they're adults. Um Let's dig into uh, you know some of the things that happened in this episode. So, um, you know, early on, uh, you know, we open with uh, Lady uh, Rhea Royce. This is the first time we got to see her. I thought that um, you know we got a really good look at like the Vale. I think the way that they did the the scenery like reminded us of the Vale. Um, and. Uh, her, uh, I guess, hunting trip doesn't go so well for her. What did you think about it? Oh, man. Like, for one, the visuals in this show are amazing. Like, yes. I know, like, uh, like it looks to me like a lot of it was shot on scene. So, it, like, on location. So, like, it looks really good, uh, especially when it's minimalistic when it comes to CGI and such like that. But seeing this uh, new character, I honestly wanted to see more of her. Like, the little bit that she was on the screen she made me want to know more about this character. Unfortunately, it was short-lived, but at the same time, I really enjoyed it. And like, then of course you get Damon walking up and it's like, what, um, like all like, you know, Kylo Ren style with his, you know, right. uh, hood over his face. <laughs> I'm like, um, what is, what, what is this Sith level bullshit, man? What, what's going on? And all of a sudden, like he spooks her, the horse flips on top of her and then she is paralyzed. It's like, Oh damn! Like we're just gonna go hard like that, right off the rip. Got it. Okay. And then Damon, she's—I can't even remember exactly what she did, says, but she had to get that last word in with Damon. You know, rightfully so. With her, uh, you know, I'm sure her relationship with Damon has not been that great since he doesn't even live there. Um, and <laughs> so, <laughs> and never so, consummated the marriage. Oh right, yeah. Oh god. And so like she gets that last word in and like you, all you see is him pick up the rock and see that that is actually something i've actually appreciated about this 
this this show, the House of Dragons, is while yes, it does have its moments of gore and stuff like that. I felt like Game of Thrones, the the actual the the, the actual Game of Thrones season was uh, heavily reliant on the over gore. They were. What I liked what I liked about House of Dragons so far is like yes, they give you enough gore to let you know it's there. But like with this scene, like he picks up the rock, you don't ever see him actually smash her face in where I think that the show Game of Thrones would have actually shown it. I actually had that exact thought when I was rewatching it today. I was like, you know, I feel like that cut there is just as effective as if not, if not more effective, especially because later on in the episode, we're going to see somebody else's head get bashed in. So you don't want to, you don't want to give away, give it all away you know, uh, right. at the beginning. So I think it would have, I think if they would have shown him bash her head in with the rock, it would have lessened the opening and the scene later in the show. So uh, an amazing call uh, for whoever, you know, the showrunner is on this that made that call because I, I think that it worked out a lot better. And I agree with you about wanting to see more of her. Like the actress did an amazing job with being on screen for like 30 seconds. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, another thing to actually just touch on, uh, you said uh, you said earlier in the episode where, you know, you go back to wrestling for, you know, um, analogies and such. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so this is no different, actually. Um, during a show, like, if you use a bunch, like, say, a wrestler's having this hardcore match, you wouldn't want to put it in the early stages of the show because... Like, if you're going to have a, this big-ass spot towards the end where you're bashing a dude's head in with a chair, you don't want to have that lesson because they had a hardcore match at the very beginning of the show. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's another example how everything just trickles back to pro wrestling. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're not doing world... it. Life is doing it. <laughs> exactly. The world is a work. We got this. That's it. The whole world. Uh, you know, and I'll say another thing too, is I really liked, uh, credit to this actress. I don't have her name uh, in front of me, but credit to her because I loved how she figured out right before he did it, that he was there to kill her because she was like, Oh, well, what are you going to do? Kill the princess or whatever. And then she starts to put the puzzle pieces together. Like, no, he's going to kill me so he can marry her. Yeah. Oh man, like, like, like. So this is what I've loved about Damon so far. Like, he's been this enigma, but it's like his actions. Like you see them, and you see the puzzle pieces fall into place. But he, like, even though you see them falling into place, they still come to fruition. Like, right. Like, like he's not as like maniacal as say you know Littlefinger or. You know, uh, Lord Beerus, not Lord Beerus. That was wrong. I'm sorry. I mean that uh, either, right? Yeah. No, uh, I don't know why why that popped in my head. Um, but I was anyway, like, like, Lord Beerus. That's a that's a that's quite the jump from Littlefinger, sir, the destroyer right? of worlds. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I, I can't even remember the dude's name. Uh, but anyway, um, like it, like it's not like this maniacal, like underhanded backstabbing stuff. Like with Damon, even though he is scheming. It is literally on the surface. Like you see it come to fruition, period. Right. Like it may be very transparent in the moment, but I think it's just, it's really refreshing to have a villain ish type character that does that. 
I agree. Um, you know, one of the things I was talking uh, to the homie Ace about is the, you know, just in general how Damon takes the principle of less is more in all of these episodes. Because other than the first episode, he's rarely in the show for extended sequences. Like, we typically only ever see, like, other characters interact with Damon. We don't get a whole lot of, like, time where it's, like, we're you know, seeing things through his point of view. And I'd say just about every episode he's in, he has stolen the the episode. Oh God. Yeah. You know, he's always the highlight of it and, but it's not overdone. You know, we could have gotten 40, a 40 minute montage of him, you know, fighting, uh, in the stepstones if we wanted to. Of course. Uh, And honestly, I would still be glued to that screen, but, like, uh, but like uh, touching on what you were saying is like, I know I'm getting a little ahead of myself with this, but like, it was like when he shows up at the wedding, like everybody stops. Right. And it's like, you don't have a character like that. If you give, like, so the way they got that, that reaction is because you don't see him in every shot. You don't see him most of the episode, but when you do see him, it's impactful. Right, and I like how he gets banished from King's Landing like every episode, <laughs> right. and then and then like next episode he just walks in like he wasn't ever kicked out. He's just like and, what? And it was like right, yeah, and it's like that weird subtle manipulation though that Damon does, where like when he shows up at that wedding, or the actually it's not even the wedding at the time, it's it's just a party, and like he walks up to uh, Viserys and just kneels in front of him and i'm like huh okay yeah (laughs) yeah there there was there was a lot of you know just everything he does you can tell it's calculated to be as dramatic as possible right right like he he intentionally showed up what he thought would be last he didn't know that allison wasn't there Oh, such a great scene, but we'll get to that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Allison is kind of a little show stealer in this episode, too. Um, oh, yes. God, yes. She, she does such a great job. Before we get to her, though, I do want to talk about um, the trip to Driftmark. I thought it was awesome to see Driftmark. Uh, so, the, uh, the King um, uh, and uh, Rhaenyra and... Um, the new hand. Kristen, yeah, Kristen and the new hand, which is uh, Lionel Strong, uh, they sail off to Driftmark, which is the seat of House Valerian. Uh, what did you think about uh, this little series of scenes? Like, I, I felt that they did a very good job on displaying so much information, but with very little action. So, something you kind of talked about earlier is like less is more. Like, seeing that while you know they, they show up. They get. Uh, they actually get to the the edge of the keep, and there's no one to greet them. And it's like, damn, like it, that that little subtle hint. Because you know, uh, I can his name escapes me, but Lord uh, Valerian, like they had some tension between him and the king. So it was like that little that little bit spoke volumes about that relationship. And then it leads into like uh, them actually going into the keep and you know them discussing you know the the marriage, and honest to God, I'm surprised that Lord Valerian was actually accepting of it. But like I get it, it's all about the you know the power struggle. But uh, 
Well, it's it's an opportunity for him to, you know, like his grandchildren will be the heirs to the Iron Throne, basically for him. Right, right, and like, and of course, that it wouldn't be Game of Thrones if that wasn't the case. Yeah, I mean, I I actually loved all of this at the beginning when they're when they're up there. Like, you can tell the relationship, like, with uh, Lord Corlys is like way at the bottom. Right, he is done with Viserys' shit. You know, he's he's tired of like years and years of not being appreciated for you know what he brings to the uh, to the to the kingdoms, and you know he didn't even you know the disrespect of him not even going out to meet him, and then his demeanor when they come into the throne room, he's just like, yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, what do you need? <laughs> yeah. Whereas anybody else in the Seven Kingdoms, other than like Damon, if if the the hand of the king, the king himself, and the princess and a Kingsguard rolled up into your, you know, ancestral seat, you would be rolling out the red carpet and have, you know, everyone standing at attention, just like the first episode of uh, Game of Thrones when, when the king arrives at Winterfell. Right, exactly. Oh, man. Like, uh, <laughs> I just, I did love that, that, that slight, like, jab at, you know, but also at the same time, you know, you said that, you know, Lord Corliss is, done with Viserys' shit. Well, I think we all are. <laughs> you know, man, Viserys just want to play with his Legos, bro. I don't I don't understand why why he's, he's, get, uh, he, he's getting that uh that 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 um that new D&D campaign ready, like because of all yeah. his miniatures and such, yeah. Like Yeah, it. man. He's just he's just trying to paint his minis and he's got that awesome like Valyria game board going and you know, his like arms rotting off and he, he's just really trying to have a, you know, to enjoy himself and just everybody keeps fucking up. He, uh, he's, he's pulling a uh, Will Byers. I just want to play D and D. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, I, it would not be an episode here if we didn't get a stranger things reference. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we have this scene and this leads into, um, um, uh, Lenore and uh, and Rhaenyra kind of out talking on the beach, and um, you know it's kind of, it's kind of made evident here if it wasn't already that Lenore is gay. He you know and yep. uh, mm-hmm. uh, Rhaenyra is not interested. She's got her side piece uh, slash King's Guard, which honestly, if you're going to be a princess and you're going to have a side piece, a King's Guard that's like got to be there at your side all the time, and no one would ask questions about it. Is a pretty good pick, right? Uh, very smart. <laughs> uh, assuming that you know they're a sane human being that does logical things, but we'll get to whoa, that. <laughs> you ask it too much, sir. <laughs> I clearly, clearly, I am. Uh, you know, but they, you know, they come to an agreement. Like, you know, hey, we'll consummate the marriage and we'll pop out some little Valyrian blood heirs. But you know, when that's done, then uh, you know you can. Do what you want to do, and I'll do what I want to do. Yep, yep. So, which you know, in a in in a medieval setting, that's about as good as you can get it as far as an arranged marriage. Oh God, yeah. Like you, you get your own side pieces. You, you actually marrying probably going to be like your best friend. I mean, hundred <laughs> percent. And I did like the agreement that Viserys and uh, Corlys came to, where it was basically, yeah, I mean. The kids can be named Valerian, but if they ascend the Iron Throne, then they will change their name to Targaryen, which I thought was a decent compromise. 
I mean, honestly, yeah. Like, and I'm, and again, this goes back to like I did not see Lord Corliss agreeing to that. Like, I guess, I guess I just had a more uh, like vindictive picture of this man, but uh, he's playing the game, so. <laughs> well, he he was playing the game, but he also, you know, it, he plays it to his advantage because anybody else, you know, people were lining up to to get the princess's hand because they want. You know, the Targaryens intertwined with their bloodline, which is a, you know, for most of these houses is this huge thing. But he was playing it off because if he were to roll out the red carpet and have everybody lined up, oh yes, King Viserys, what what do you decree today, you know? Then Viserys has got the advantage, um, you know, at the negotiating table. But here, Corliss is like, no, you got to sell me on it, you know? And the imagery here, too, with Corliss kind of standing above Viserys, I thought was that was such an excellent shot, you know, where he's like, can I, you know, offer you a chair or whatever? And, you know, uh, Corliss is kind of standing like one step up from the king. And it was just it was just a good shot that the symbolism, you know, lined up with what was happening in the scene very well. And this show does a great job of that. Oh yeah, like uh, honestly, like the cinematography in this show has been on point. Like you said, they've got the production value of season eight of Game of Thrones, just with a massively better story. And like I- I'm, I am really digging like this whole power play between the two uh, of Lord Corliss and uh, Viserys, and like it has been interesting to see this evolution too because like not what well, i thought three years prior or before i'm sorry um the uh the lord corliss was fighting alongside damon <laughs> so right it's like yeah like why is this king motherfucker showing up at my doorstep oh you want to marry my son to your daughter got it uh let's make it worth my while <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And honestly, this is this show is far more political, I think, than Game of Thrones. I think so too. Like like I I was a little worried about that, like I said earlier. I'm not huge into the massive political stuff, but honestly, Game of Thrones has been one of those shows that has actually made me like it. Well, and you know, the thing is, it's called political intrigue. You can't have the politics and not bring the intrigue. That's fair. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, if we wanted politics, we could watch the news. Nobody wants to do that. We want political <laughs> intrigue. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, you know, um, if the politics in our world worked this way, it would be much more inter- interesting. It's like, oh, you guys can't agree? Well, someone has to get kill someone at a wedding. Or marry so. off your daughter. <laughs> yeah, or both. <laughs> or both. Marry off your daughter and then kill someone at the wedding. Either way, you know. <laughs> Um, so we had a very interesting scene here while this is taking place back in King's Landing, uh, Otto Hightower, the former hand of the King. Now he's exiting the mud gate and, uh, we get a scene with him and Allison that I really, really loved. Um, I gotta say, you know, I love Otto's character and the way that he's played in the show. Um, but this scene was I I really loved it because he's basically while the advice that he gives Allison is correct it's like I realize that I manipulated you into this situation where your grandchildren and possibly you are going to be murdered but I got fired so I'm out <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um with Otto I've I've had 
very mixed feelings with this guy. At first, I thought I was going to like him. You know, I, uh, I was going to get this whole, you know, I kind of got a slight Ned Stark feel. That was quickly erased. Um, and then we, 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 we see him doing the manipulating gameplay game. I'm not saying that I did not respect the man for what he was doing. I'm just saying I didn't like it. But this scene, like, it was so powerful for him. Like, and then, of course, it's uh, it actually sets the precedent for Alicent for the rest of the episode. Right. Like, she gets into this mind frame of, like, they're fucking me over. I have to start playing. And you really can't blame her because it's like, yeah, I mean, you're going to put the first queen on the throne ever. And he's like, in order to establish her claim the wisest thing for her to do would be to kill your children. And I mean, he's not yeah. wrong. <laughs> I mean, hell, uh, uh, Joffrey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Joffrey killed every one of Robert's bastards. I mean, <laughs> all but one, all but one. Yeah. But he tried to kill them all. He did. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, the next thing that we get, uh, moving right along here is we get, uh, you know, this excellent scene where we have the dragons flying in. So, uh, Lenor is flying in on sea smoke and we have Rhaenyra flying in on, um, Cyrax and, uh, with the Valerian fleet behind them. And I thought that this was yet another incredible piece of imagery, uh, for the show. Uh, shout out to this show for remembering the geography of King's Landing <laughs> um, looking at you, season seven and eight of Game of Thrones. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but I loved this shot, and I like how they kind of got us right into, you know, the dinner and the wedding festivities, and we didn't have to like they didn't they they aren't uh, dragging anything out. I don't think there's a few things where it's like, yeah, I would have liked to see more, like maybe with the crab feeder, but for the most part. I'm glad that they're not dragging out the stuff that we wouldn't want them to drag out. Like, if we had to wait three episodes for this wedding feast, I feel like it would have, you know, it would have been anticlimactic. A little bit, yeah. Like, uh, I was I was actually a little confused at the start of this. I was like, are they having the wedding now? Or what's going on? And as, as the scene progresses, it's, oh, it's this just this welcome party. Like, and they're talking about doing a massive tournament throughout this week and then have the wedding. I'm like, oh. Okay, that's extravagant as fuck. But you know what? By all means, do your thing. And and then like like you said, like the they didn't drag out a whole lot. Like I felt like every scene in this party like actually told something big. Right. Oh God! Like like we talked about a little bit earlier. Like when when Damon shows up, like. It was just like, you know, Moses parting the Red Sea on everybody moving out of the way. And like, he just kind of just strolls right up. And then uh, the entrance of Alicent. Probably the most impactful scene of the show for me. Like, just this whole moment of she is basically declaring war on the crown without actually saying it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what's happening here. Uh you know, what I thought was interesting, too, leading up to this, you know, when, when they get on the ship, right, uh, Rhaenyra mm. and Kristen Cole, and Kristen Cole gives her the whole will run away speech. When I saw it the first time, I was like, 
Okay, there's she's, no way she's going to go for that. When I saw it the second time, I was like, they must have audacity on clearance at the market because this man is basically like, he is basically asking her to give up Seven Kingdoms and the Iron Islands and being the most famous person in the world so that she can be with him. That's a tall order. Yeah, and uh, to my understanding, they probably only slept together, like, what, once? <laughs> I mean, it may have happened more than that, but either way, man, I mean... Right, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that dick can't be that good. <laughs> that's what I was saying. I was like, bro, you gotta you gotta slow your roll, and then, you know, and I was like, you know, this guy is... I mean, he's clearly head over heels, and, you know, I was talking to somebody kind of off mic about this, and they were like... You know, they were like, you think you think she's that good? And I was like, well, since it's the only, you know, that you've ever had, <laughs> like, you know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you thought you were going to go the entire rest of your life without getting any under, you know, penalty of death and or torture. And now here you are. So, <laughs> you know, you done got some princess ass, you know, for your first time. So, you know, it, you saw the look on his face. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, dude, the dude was like, it was, it was, it was almost sad. Like I felt bad for him at first. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, me too. But it's like the audacity this guy to suggest this, and he's like, we can run away to Essos and be free or whatever. I was like, or you could end up in the fighting pits, or you could get murdered by a bunch of Dothraki. Like I don't know the history of Westeros. I'm not sure what the I mean the history of Essos. I don't know what the Dothraki are doing right now, but I have this odd feeling that it's rape and murder and pillage. Yeah, no, I can see that too. Because yeah. <laughs> that's kind of you know that's what they do. That is exactly what they do. Um, correction, by the way, apparently um, th- that is not Cyrax that she was riding. That is uh, Malays, the Red Queen. Uh, oh. So I guess she got a different dragon. I'm not sure. I'm if uh, if uh, Lauren is listening to this, she's probably yelling at the at the uh, radio or whatever right now. But uh, 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 of course she would be <laughs> because she probably knows the whole the whole story here. And I'll I'll have to Google it after we get off of here and feel dumb. Oh, I'm pretty sure she's probably gonna uh, fuss at me later about it too. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. If you haven't listened to episode three uh, or really all of the reviews that we've done so far this year uh, for this season. Uh, definitely go back and check those out um, because amazing work on all of them. And um, we're halfway through, so here we are. Um, that being said, um, so we have this moment where they, they ride up. Uh, before we get to the feast, uh, we also get that scene with Allison and Kristen Cole that has become so famous. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Man, I, I th- this man is a snitch. Uh, like so, he does not hold water at all. No, no, he doesn't. So I, I guess all right. So you see a snitch. I see a man with 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 a code. At least at this point in time, um, like you could tell, like he was plagued by that. Like the the he, the man just had his heart broken. She was uh, the the princess. Basically, just told him to go fuck himself. Uh, we're not running away together. And, and like he's like, bitch, I just broke an oath for you, and you're not even gonna give me this. So like, I, I felt bad for him, like I said. And at this point, I felt like when he was being confronted with this, like he obviously thought he was uh, that she was talking about, you know, 
what happened between you know Kristen and uh, Rhaenyra. Uh, but yeah, it was I, I well felt... played. Allison oh, didn't yeah. know. No, she didn't. And like, I just had a little bit of anxiety during that scene for that reason. I was like, is this going to be like one of those like barely not telling you what they mean type scenarios? And then like it just snowballs. But no, like it, it, when when Kristen owned up to it, I was like, see that right there to me told him told me that he was like a man of honor. And I'm like, okay, he's trying to, you know, atone for his mistake of breaking his oath. That's the way I felt, at least at first. <laughs> Agreed. The look on Allison's face when he's like, yeah, it was me. And, you know, she, of course, was talking about Damon. I love right. this moment from this actress and the way she played it and the facial expression. Because it's like she didn't give it away to him, but she told the audience, you know, like she played that like, okay, I can't overreact to this. I have to keep my cool and make him think that we're talking about the same thing. But like. Clearly, she wasn't going to execute him and make this public. She was going to keep this in her back pocket. Oh, yeah. And that definitely plays uh, another factor later in the episode. And, you know, at this point, not only is she concerned about Rhaenyra murdering her kids, but it's like, yeah, you, you bitch, you lied to me, too. I know. Like, like I thought we were besties. Like... You didn't tell me you got you got to sleep with this fine ass piece of motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and you know the other thing too is you know she swore like on her mom's grave or whatever. Uh, you yeah. know, and it was like, dang, you know, this is uh, you know, she's a little shysty. Still love her though, but a little shysty. I mean, there's not <laughs> like honestly, aside from maybe Ned Stark. There's not a single person in this show, or the history of this show, that isn't a little shysty. That's saying. true. I, you know, I was really trying to think of someone, and uh, it really, I, I couldn't. Maybe Brienne of Tarth. Maybe Brienne. Maybe yeah. she, she's not very shysty, but uh, yeah. Other than, other than that, yeah, it's pretty much everyone, <laughs> <laughs> and definitely everybody in this show. Oh, of course. Like, I don't trust a single one of them motherfuckers. <laughs> Not a woman. Um, so we get to the actual feast here. We talked about Damon making his entrance. But, you know, Damon was going to be outdone when it came to entrances. Yes, uh, he was. Because, you know, during the middle of the King's speech, uh, we get this wonderful Allison entrance. Before we go too far into this, I got to double back just a second and talk about when the Lannisters come in. Oh, okay. And uh, Jason Lannister walks up to the table and cracks that terrible, like, you know, misogynistic women's joke. Mm. And it just goes over. <laughs> even, even with Viserys, who is like this patriarchal, you know, just kind of person, traditional person. Even Viserys yeah. is just like, womp, womp. <laughs> See what I'm loving about the fact that the, the 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 little bit we're seeing out of the Lannisters is the fact that this show has knocked them off their high horse. Well, because they didn't they don't have it yet. Exactly. So, like, because up until this point, the only real like uh, exposure to the Lannisters, is, of course, has been the Game of Thrones show, and like they're of course the high and mighty. They're running everything, and it, it's so refreshing to see them not in power 
Yeah, I mean, you know, they always had the the arrogance, you know, but it's like at this point in time, like they were not considered this, you know, incredible, you know, just uh, like unstoppable, powerful, rich house, you know. Right. Uh, like that's that is yet to happen yet. So, you know, one of the things that that Tywin was actually super famous for was getting their house in order and establishing them to be the way that we see them in Game of Thrones. That was like his life's work to elevate his house to that position. And here, they're just buffoons, man. They're they're <laughs> right? they're seen as these arrogant, cartoonish kind of pricks. And I've seen some some comments from people about like, you know, I, I feel like the Lannisters are too, you know, like almost cartoon character lame. And I'm like, that's, that's on purpose. You know, they are, they are kind of just a, a, a caricature at this point, And that, that's canonically accurate. Which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, them being it's the like, lions is almost a joke, really. Right. Right. And like, uh, like aside from Tyrion, like, I don't even consider him actually a Lannister, even though he is. Right. Like the the only one I respect is Tywin, and like I don't like him, I respect him. But like, it, it's just hilarious how much the, the Lannisters in this show are struggling to kind of get a foothold in anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And Jason's the worst of all of them, and he's basically the head of the house. <laughs> uh you know we also got um the the scene uh with Allison outside where you know she uh finds out that uh the grand Maester had delivered the tea to Rhaenyra. Oh yeah 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 which actually I think prompted the 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 conversation with Kristen. Right yeah so this is where um uh Laris who's the uh the cripple yeah um you know he is the um he's kind of the catalyst for some of this and he kind of came across to me as like a little finger type character here where he's clearly manipulating stuff oh of course but i guess it's like like because he's the the son of the hand correct if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah and, and he's like, creepy oh he's so creepy um so he kind of reminds me of a character from another show called arcane uh, I cannot remember this character's name to save my life, but um, it, it's just how he carries himself. It's very similar to that character. Um, and it's also, I guess, also has to do with, you know, the, the cripple factor. But at the same time, it's just how, like, you just kind of get this strange, like, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde feel to this guy. Right. At least in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. He's definitely, like just a very like creepy slithery kind of person and you know you kind of feel bad for him because like even even if you are rich you don't want to be a cripple in the middle ages but uh you know he's definitely got some nefarious nonsense going on and we don't know what his motivations are which makes it worse oh i know like it it, it was kind of out of nowhere but i feel like that that is just gonna be that setup for future tomfoolery yeah, agreed. Um, so, fast forward, we now get this grand entrance from Allison, man. I loved this. She interrupts the king in the middle of the speech, and we get this line um, between, uh, let's see, who was it? 
it was uh, Laris and uh, Harwin who say to each other, you know, back in Old Town, where she comes from, that the beacon on the high tower turns green when they declare war. And she has that that green dress on and makes this awesome entrance. And I think this is really the transformation for her character. Oh, yeah. And, like, like this was that moment to me that really said, she's in this game, she is playing, and she is out for blood. Because before this moment, I think she is mostly being manipulated by others. Right, exactly. And this was a statement for her. This was a, I am the queen, you're going to fucking pay attention, and I'm going to win. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, the feast gets started, you know, they do the Westerosi cha-cha slide, and then... (laughs) uh, you know, and, and then we get all these kind of little character moments that I really liked. Um, you know, Lena kind of has the hots for Damon. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is is really gross because I'm like, y'all do know she's the little girl from the second episode, right? Right, right. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ugh. Um, and then, you know, we, we get the... The back and forth here um, between uh, Lenor and um, what is uh, the other uh, his lover's name? Oh, I can't remember. Like that's the thing about Game of Thrones that I've oh, always been really hard for. He's a he's a prick. His name's Joffrey. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing. I was like, "What? That's a ba- you know what? I don't mind you died now." <laughs> yeah this this dumbass decides to tell Kristen that he knows. Oh, oh God! Ah, he was so dumb. Like, you know, at first, like when he told uh, Lenore, I was like, "I'm cool with it," right? You know, like because like that was like that was kind of playing the game a little bit. Like, hey, we have this in their back pocket; we can hold on to this if we ever need it. But then, the, and then this is going back to the you know these producers, you know, and you know having the audacity sale um this <laughs> motherfucker had the audacity to go and tell Kristen and i'm like what good could come of this right i mean granted i guess it was like him trying to be like i've got you in my back pocket type deal but it's like first off dude's a king's guard second of all like, you know second of all like you don't. He doesn't understand the mental state that Kristen Cole is in. So, like, I'll give him that little bit of leeway. But it's like, don't reveal this. The man Ned Stark himself, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, where Ned Stark <laughs> goes and like tells Cersei everything. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he got straight reamed there. <laughs> it's like, well, you gonna die, <laughs> and he does. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I have a negative about this episode, man. It's. I think it's got to be this. Like I, I don't really love the way that Kristen acts here, and I also don't really think it's like I don't understand why they just let him walk off. Like you would have thought that the other guards would have like arrested him. That that was my biggest gripe. I think was like for one, I didn't know what the fuck was going on in most of that uh, kerfuffle that was going on. It's like, I think it was by design, which is, you know, smart. But then you finally start getting the scenes where, you know, the the shots of Kristen just pounding this dude's head in with his gauntlet. And I'm just like, where are the other Kingsguard? Like, dudes, 
get him off of him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Harwin Strong goes in kind of at uh, Viserys's, like, prodding there where he gives him the nod, and he's like, get my fucking daughter out of there. Right, yeah. And that kind of added to, like, the way it was shot, because for a while you really didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, next thing we know, we have Christian Cole beating this dude's face in. And in, in, a, in a Westerosi fashion, to where it's like you go, you you hit until you're punching the ground under them. Homeboy got fucking Prince Oberon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Oberon was way cooler, right? Even um, though he was basically an uh, Indigo Montoya. <laughs> that's true. He's still my favorite character from the original show, though. I mean, love him. Definitely great. <laughs> yeah, and that that was where. Uh, that was where we all uh, fell in love with Pedro Pascal as well. So it is, it is, it really is. Man, um, <laughs> want to talk about Viserys here for a minute? So they kind of the the end of this is kind of rushed. We go from the the murder scene, and we only get two more scenes after this. One of which is Alicent with Kristen, and uh, you know we kind of get the idea of these chess pieces are aligned because he kind of owes her his life. At this point. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, she saw this as an opportunity, like, to get him into her back pocket. And I think he's going to be vengeful towards Rhaenyra. So I think the chess pieces for how this is all going to go down are definitely being set. Um, on the other side of it, we have the Viserys. You know, they immediately rushed right into the wedding right there the, the with the blood, you know, the rat. Uh, lopping up the blood from uh, Joffrey right there on the floor. Yeah, oh man, like it was it, it was just a strange quickness to that that scene. I was like, I mean, granted, it's smart because like if they would have let this shit keep going, and again, Westerosi weddings, <laughs> this wasn't even the wedding, <laughs> right? Uh, and so like ah uh, like. I thought it was a very interesting way to put that in, uh, but like, I didn't hate it. Like I, it, it was just like that cool symbolism where it, ba- it backs away. The, the wedding's not even the focus. It's actually the blood. And it's just like, uh, kudos to the, the, the showrunners for doing that. Like to me, like it didn't take away from the seriousness of the way that happened. And also the lack of seriousness that wedding actually has. Agreed, uh, and that's so relevant for the characters too that are involved because no one is taking it seriously except for like Viserys. Exactly, and the poor hand of the king who's just like, "Damn it, I hate everything." <laughs> this character, though, like when when you first see him, when um, Viserys is actually talking to him about, "Did I make the right decision?" You know, all that stuff, or like right before he makes the decision to name uh, Rhaenyra's. Um, heir to the throne it it was just like this character is almost stoic to a robotic degree right and like he's very logical so like i think this would probably like the most ideal character to be a hand of the king because they have no on the surface it appears that they don't have really an agenda right and and that i agree with you there and this show does such a good job of avoiding these like one-to-one comparisons where we're just like yeah you know this character in the prequel is this character and this character in the prequel is this character it's like there's not a a 
a Tyrion copy and then a Littlefinger copy and a Ned Stark copy and, you know, so on and so forth like they could do. Uh, looking at right. you, Mass Effect Andromeda. Hey, uh, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> but they did that and you know it. Okay, yeah, I'll agree to that. <laughs> <laughs> they just changed one, one or two little things. Um, but, yeah, yeah I mean, and, and I mean, uh, you know, I think Rings of Power probably could learn from that as well. A little bit, uh, yeah. Not to not to lob any salvos in their direction, but uh, you know Gandalf, that, what? Uh, right? Uh, <laughs> Gandalf, Aragorn, Frodo, Galadriel can still be herself because she's still alive. Uh, you know it, those things, but um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> I, we digressed. <laughs> we digress. Uh, we get this at the end of this. I actually thought Viserys died right here originally. Oh, like, like honestly, I, I was unsure. It kind of gave me a Breaking Bad final season, final episode feel, like where he just kind of collapsed and I didn't see him again. So I thought he was gone. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I mean, he he collapsed, fell over, and I was like, did he just die right there during the wedding? But then the preview for the next episode came up, and like he's alive. He looks like Gollum, but he's alive. Oh, okay. So I, I didn't actually watch the preview because I'm I'm one of those people like, well, I yes, I'll watch a trailer. Or whatever, but for the most part, if it's a TV show, I'm just gonna wait for the next week and be surprised yeah. by it. I'm the same way. I typically don't watch those. I did it this week because I wanted to see the new actresses. Ah, um, gotcha. I'm so we're so we're losing Lenor, Rhaenyra, and Alicent's um, actors, which is fine. But I feel like Lenor and Alicent are gonna be okay with the new roles. But um, Millie Alcock, who plays um, uh, Rhaenyra, I think we've all fallen in love with her. And I think, I, I just don't, I, I think there's going to be problems uh, relating to the new actress. I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I, I'm definitely going to give this new actress a chance, obviously. Oh, for sure. But like like you said, like this actress who's playing Rhaenyra currently is... Like, yeah, like, it's hard not to like her at all. Like, it, it's like, even when she does sh- shady shit, you still like her for it. <laughs> exactly. She's she's very charismatic, and she just plays the role so well. And I, I don't think anybody could have foreseen us liking her this much. Like, as a matter of fact, she was cast second. Like, the actual actress that, like, the adult act, uh, actors were cast first. And then they cast younger actors that looked like them. Oh, um, yeah. So I mean, e- even so, like no one could have predicted, you know, people loving the 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 child actress for Rhaenyra, even though she's like twenty three or whatever, uh, yeah. to this extent. So uh, I am concerned, but uh, I hope my just like when when I started episode one of this show, my concerns will be alleviated. Right, right. Uh, man, like this show has just, uh, like I said this earlier, and I even said this on the homies, um, where like this show, every episode, while maybe not one better than the other, has really, every episode has consistently made me start loving the show to the point where I'm wanting to go back and watch the first six seasons of Game of Thrones. Like, I want to do that, which I, like two years ago, I did. I hated to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't like. I said I never watched a single second of it from the, from the time that the premiere ended, 
until a few weeks ago when I started rewatching it. I didn't watch a single second of it. Had no desire to. And it is diminished, but I did still enjoy it, and it was nice to see some of those characters and feel some of those things again. Yeah. But uh, but this show, I think, has been a huge breath of fresh air and has really reinvigorated a, a franchise that they brutally murdered and there wasn't even a wedding. So. Um, that being said, man, uh, scale of 1 to 10, where, where would you score this episode? Uh, so in all of Game of Thrones or in just this this show? Um, it's up to you. Uh, okay, well, I, I'm just going to stick with just the House of the Dragons. Okay. To me, this is the best episode so far. This one got me from straight from the rip and kept my attention the whole time. Like mm-hmm. it, the pacing was great. Everything about it, like out of the whole, the, the first five episodes, this is my favorite. You know, I gotta say, I, I think, you know, I don't know that I like it more than one. Like for me, episode one is still my favorite because I feel like they, they were trying to hook us in. So in episode one, they gave us like, a little sample platter of everything from this universe, right? Like we got some political intrigue, we got some violence, we got a jousting tournament, we got somebody doing something really fucked up, you know. Uh, I feel like it it was kind of that all around. You get a little bit of every every little facet of the universe. Um, whereas in subsequent episodes, it's been you know you maybe get one or two of those. So. To me, this is the second best episode. I don't know that it tops the first one for me yet, but I would have to agree with you. I think I gave the first episode a 9 when we originally scored it. So I'm going to say this one's probably like an 8.5 for me. Like, I mean, I, honestly, I think as far as a schedule, one, yeah, one in 10, I could, I actually, I would give it a 9. That, that's yeah, fair. Like, like the, um, I think the, uh, the if they wouldn't have uh, made uh, uh, Joffrey, you know, kind of dumb maybe that was the character i don't know but like and then the the whole issues with the guards not t- pulling Kristen off i i can't give it a 10 but like a nine solid nine yeah they always got to fuck with something don't they oh yeah <laughs> well so let me ask you before we uh before we wrap it up here what would you like we got five episodes left in this season do you have any like predictions or anything you want to see happen in this back half of the of the season? Mm. <sighs> well, I mean, honestly, like, like I said earlier, like I, I came into this almost completely blind. I didn't read the, the the book this is based off of, so I don't know as much as a lot of people who have read the book. But I would like to see that continual progression and the, them continuing the character growth between all these relationships. Like, I don't want it to fall stale like a lot of relationships in Game of Thrones did. That is my mm-hmm. biggest thing. I'm going into this without really any expectations, so I'm not as disappointed if they ever fuck it up. <laughs> but I, I, I'm excited about this show, and like, as long as they don't give us another season eight, I'll be happy. Agreed. My one thing I want to see in the first season, and this is easy, um, and it's not some awesome character moment like I normally would go for. I want to see a dragon rider fight another dragon rider. 
You know what? That would actually be pretty pretty dope. Yeah, I, I can give that. Which I will give this show. Uh, they're actually giving us a lot more, which rightfully so, but they're giving us more of the uh, their writers with the dragons, and that makes me happy. Agreed. Um, you know that uh, one of my favorite uh, you know pieces of literature is the Aragon series, or, or technically it's the Inheritance series. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we all know how incredibly poorly that was handled. So to see like dragon riders and 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 all this stuff and like the idea eventually as long as the show continues we are going to get dragon riders fighting each other but uh I want to see it in season 1 I want to see at least a tease of it at least a, a small fight maybe it's like a dragon rider on each side of a battlefield you know and and we get like oh, that, some interaction Yeah that would be cool as shit yeah totally so I want I want that episode nine Game of Thrones big huge battle moment. Ooh yes uh, yes the, so the that, stuff that you know got ruined in season eight. <laughs> exactly that's what I want. Give it to me. <laughs> Maybe we can put all of our cavalry on the outside of the castle, like in front of the walls, and then when the enemy shows up, we can send them away from the battlements <laughs> to be mercilessly slaughtered for no reason, and then added to the army of the dead. You know what? That's like a great idea. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's Greenlist. It's canon. Oh, yeah. 100% canon. <laughs> well, man, I hate that it took so long to get you on here, but I definitely want to thank you for joining me today. It has been a blast uh, to you know to sit down and, uh, and nerd out over some, uh, some House of the Dragons with you. Oh, yeah, dude. Like This has been so much fun, and I can't wait to be back on the show again. Hey, it's definitely going to happen. Uh, we'll go ahead and get the contracts going now. Okay, um, yeah. Uh, make sure you get the right people this time. <laughs> I will. Uh, you know, I got to talk to the mouse. Um, you know, we got we got uh-huh. a thing going. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I can't. No, I stopped myself. I can't. Can't let it happen. But that being said, everyone, uh, this uh, has been House of the Dragon uh, episode five, and this has been yet another episode of An Evolved Review.